Beautiful Anonymous is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For as little as $32 a week, you can pick an experienced licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every one of them has at least a master's degree and over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com beautiful and to get $30 off your first month and show your support for this podcast, use the code beautiful. That's beautiful at Talkspace.com slash beautiful. There's a brand new podcast here at Earwolf you should check out now. It's called Homophilia. Grill celebrities on what they're loving, who they're loving. You can hear fascinating gay celebrities, pop culture obsessions and experiences with dating, sex, love, all hosted by Dave Holmes, who I can say is a very good friend of mine. You might know Dave. He was a VJ on MTV. He's the guy who lost that contest to Jesse Kemp. But more importantly, great, great dude. Hilarious guy. He wrote a great book. Friend of mine. It's also hosted by Matt McConkie might know from uh, Bajillion Dollar Properties and Bitch Sesh. It's uh, adapted from Matt's Bitch Sesh spinoff called Rock Bottom. First guest is Cameron Esposito from Take My Wife. Dave's guested a ton of Earwolf shows. You've heard him host all over the network. He's a great, great guy. Support him. Subscribe to Homophilia and Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you like it, tell a friend. Hello to everybody that loves a good animal gif. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour. One phone call, no names, no olds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. It's your friend Chris Gethard here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for checking it out. I, uh, I'm very excited about life lately, about the show lately, about you guys responding lately. It's been fun. I, uh, I Last week we had our homeschooled Bigfoot Hunter episode and very divisive guy. 900 comments in the Facebook thread and the Facebook group on this one. It was not 17,000 people in that group. If you're not in there, join up. Other beautiful anonymous fans, it's, it's, now, it's now so big we're curating it. Um, so our mod's really doing a good job of, of making it really focus on discussion of the show and things surrounding the show. One of my favorite comments comes from Anna, who says, uh, only partway through the episode right now. I'm guessing it could take a real turn, but I just got to say this about the child ghost. People did not wear Victorian dress in the 1940s. And you put that in all caps. And I love that the historical accuracy of the ghost stories of our caller called into question. I'm, uh, Really so thrilled. Everybody's been saying nice things and supporting the Chris Gathered Show on True TV. Very nice of you. Thanks for supporting my work outside of the show. Very, very kind of you to check it out. Speaking of checking things out, a couple of live shows, live beautiful anonymous shows, even though I'm real busy right now. We've got the Now Hear This Festival in New York. We got uh, the Fest Gainesville, punk rock festival, but you can buy a ticket just for uh, one of the comedy stages. Beautiful Anonymous is going to be on Gainesville, Florida. I hear, uh, I hear Sam from the, uh, I hear Sam, one of the mods of the Facebook group is coming out. Can't wait to meet Sam in person. Got uh, Denton, Texas coming up. Tickets for that one not on sale yet, but keep your eyes peeled. ChrisGeth.com. Get ticket links as they're available for all those things. Some live Beautiful Anonymous coming your way. 
Okay, this uh, upcoming episode, I really enjoyed it. Here's a thing that happens in life, right? Sometimes you're chit-chatting with someone. It's pretty nice. You, uh, you, you're just having a conversation, and it feels good, laid back, like this, like my tone of voice right now. And then the content starts to get progressively uh, different, maybe darker, interesting. And then, but, but you know what? The tone stays the same. This was one of those ones, and I, I think that speaks to the fact that I, I felt very comfortable with this caller. I'd like to think that that was a shared feeling. Uh, but yeah, this one goes in some directions. Gets real, but still fun. In other words, classic, beautiful, anonymous. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Oh, you have the most... Is this Chris? Yeah. You have the most crystal clear (laughs) phone connection I've ever heard. That's amazing. It's not one bit of background noise. Holy moly. Well, I am home entirely alone. I, I just put my partner on a plane to Greece. So, um, yeah, it's quiet here. On a plane to Greece? I also applaud your use of the phrase holy moly. It's been a long time since I've heard that. <laughs> I am originally from the Midwest, so it, it's deep in my genes. Phrases <laughs> like holy moly and other folksy. Yeah, uh, what else? What, uh, what else do you bust out? Like what do you bust out? Jeepers? You ever say jeepers? <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not quite Joe Biden in that sense, you know. Yeah. Not, oh God, I'm not going to pull out malarkey or anything like that. But. I miss that guy. I haven't heard that name in a couple months. <laughs> He's probably so pissed right now. Biden's probably so pissed. <laughs> I wonder how they restrain him from just. Like saying whatever he wants at this point. Oh yeah, you know they put that they put a muzzle on that old dog on that salty old dog. He gets a muzzle. <laughs> Doctor Jill's just like giving him shots of sedative or something. Oh yeah, he slips him into his morning oatmeal. Keep the dog on the chain. Keep the dog on the chain. Biden. <laughs> oh, I miss him. Yeah. He was so entertaining. You know? Yeah. I, I feel like even even people on the other side of the aisle have an appreciation for the ridiculousness of Biden. That's okay. It's all right. I mean, he put in his time too. You know, yeah. that's respectable. Yeah. <laughs> so, how are you doing today? How am I doing? Let's see. I'm pretty good. Um, I'm a little. I'm a little stressed out. We're uh, leaving. I don't know when we'll release this episode. The tour will probably be done by then. But at the time we're recording this, I'm about to leave for the tour in three days, and uh, I'm interested to see how that goes. Our first stop is in Vancouver. I haven't sold a, so many tickets in Vancouver, but uh, that's okay. Some of the other cities are looking great, so uh, let's step up. I hope. They, I hope. What do you? What do, you, do you do you think Canadians have something against you? No, Toronto's almost sold out. Toronto's rad. I think it, I've never <laughs> never been to Vancouver before, and we announced the tour a little last minute. So I think the first few dates, you know, it's a, that's a sacrifice. Gotcha. Who, who knows? Vancouver. I'm psyched. I've heard nothing but good things. Are you psyched to do the the podcast live yeah. again? I mean, it's been it, a while. Yeah, I've only done it once. It could it could be a disaster, but I I'm I'm very genuinely psyched to even if the show even if the calls don't go well. I'm glad I'm I'm psyched. I get to I've never been out on the road and just met the people who listen to this show, and uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited to do that. That's that's like one of the best feelings as a comedian is when you meet the people who support your stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I gotta say, I I saw your special oh, um, on HBO, and it's just 
uh, it's incredibly moving and important to me. And as someone who sort of is in the mental health field broadly, um, I really appreciated the the conversations that came up around it. And that's super nice. Definitely, I've seen you. Uh, can you talk about uh, the issue in ways that I think we often don't because we're too scared? Well, hey, just tried to put really myself out that there with the humor, you know. Tried to do my part, and uh, you know, certain, certainly, if you have any, you know, HBO Go, HBO Now streaming platforms available today. But let's not, let's not even. I don't even want to. <laughs> why even bring that up? How are you doing? You asked me how I'm doing. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. I um, it's been a long, I guess, year. Um in like half of my life, I've been doing something that I really love for the last six years, but it's starting to be something that really brings me down. Um, I think no. like a lot of people who follow your work, you know, I have some depression and anxiety stuff going on. Um, that has always been in my past. It's part of my, my story. So that's really what brought me into the mental health field, but it, it, it's a grind. Yeah. Years now and uh, working in nonprofits is great in some ways, but really, really difficult sometimes. And uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to look for new opportunities. I'm in my mid 30s. It's like, how do you make a transition to something completely new? Yeah. I will leave it up to you how much you want to say about what you do specifically. It's, it's nothing. I would, I, I would have to imagine in general. Anyone who's working for mental health-based nonprofits, short shelf life on that gig. There's got to be. Be- <laughs> between, the, between the content of what you're dealing with and the constant scramble for funding, I bet it, it has to just – you're burning the candle at all ends, I imagine. Yeah, you know, mental health, not as sexy as many other causes. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't quite bring in the dollars like many of many of the other things out there. And I've personally um, tried to do my part to do. increase the sex appeal. Personally, trying to bring that J Crew sensibility <laughs> to the mental health conversation. No, right? Yeah, it's, it's like punk rock J Crew. You know, oh. that you really you really bring in <laughs> pulls in a, a few different uh, audiences there yeah, for sure. Doing um, my part. So, <laughs> so you're stressed out. But yeah, it's difficult, you know, it's hard, hard work to do, even though it's really, really rewarding. And there's a lot of creativity that I get to do in my work, but I'm interested in storytelling has really always been my, my background and my, my thing. Um, I had another fairly useless major in, in college, which was history. Um, you know, at my school, since it's a small school, housed in the same department as American Studies. Yeah. <laughs> so American I, stu- I was an American studies major, American studies. I, I think it's fair. You could almost for say American studies is kind of like the uh, trashier cousin of a history degree. <laughs> well, there's only so much study of America. It's a very limited amount of time. So, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever taken um, any American studies classes, but let me tell you about some of the classes I took as an American studies major. I don't know. Maybe a class <laughs> called cults and communes where I... Read all about cults and communes. Oh, how about this one? The Cowboy in Fiction and Film. Oh, wait. Did I take a class called Murder in America? Uh Uh-huh. Just read about serial killers. (laughs) 
It's basically a class that could take place on like like Uproxx and four other internet sites. (laughs) It's basically a class where you just read like sensationalistic links you would find on Facebook. That's that was my major, but I loved it. It was all right. It was dumb. I definitely took one called the American West. That was yes, a lot about um, you know the you know quote unquote you know arguably arguably. I don't want to make anyone mad. The genocide of Native Americans in this country uh-huh, <laughs> as uh-huh. um, westward expansion occurred. So, it was, you know, it was really uplifting. Um, yeah. But it was that and we watched a lot of Western. I so, did. My cowboy cool. in fiction and film class, I will never forget <laughs> this detail. We watched if college education. My parents paid a lot of money for me to watch Shanghai <laughs> Noon in a college class. The Jackie Chan, <laughs> Owen Wilson Western Shanghai Noon. Watch that in a class. I mean, it was a summer class, to be fair, but still, college education. Watch Shanghai Noon. Shanghai Noon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, at least we watch like John Wayne movies, right? Like, oh yeah. I don't know if that's better, actually. I watched maybe some of those. not. Rio um, Bravo, great flick. Rio Bravo, and a legit funny movie too. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Rio Bravo, but good. I'm sure my father has. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good flick. I think that's the name of it. Shane, Shane's a good one. Just chit chatting about westerns over here now. Yeah. Why'd I your? Par- I really feel like this is. Yeah, go ahead. Why'd your partner go to Greece? Um. So her little sister just um, graduated from college, and so the family decided they were going to take. You know, this is probably like one of the last times they're all going to be able to take a coordinated family trip together. So they decided to go to Greece and spend a week there. You could, None of them had ever been. So you couldn't horn in on pretty it? sweet graduation gift. You don't, you don't get a, you don't get a ticket. <laughs> I did not get a ticket. It was not invited. It was oh. a very insular family event. That's right. I'm going to see my parents. How long have you been um, with your partner? It, we just celebrated three years. You got to go on the vacation at that point. <laughs> You got to get a vacation invite three years in. I once dated a girl for eight years and her family went on vacation every summer and I was never invited and they never sent me a birthday card in eight years. I shouldn't air that publicly, but my friends remember this, but I have a lot, but she hasn't talked to me in five full years now. So I don't know. I hope we settle it. I really have a lot of fondness for this person. I'm just waiting for her to be able to speak to me again. I don't know why I'm airing all this public very personal information on the podcast. Anyway. Eight years, three years, go to Greece. You gotta you go part, party in Mykonos. You should be partying in Mykonos. I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm still in the, the domestic trip only category. Mm-hmm. We've done other traveling together with her family. It's a bummer. Uh, but yeah. Not, not, not on the international ticket yet. Wow. Uh, but that's right. It's a bummer. Yeah. My, and my parents want to see me, so make time for that. They retired like a decade ago. They've been living in South Carolina. So you're going to go visit them instead. Hanging out. What's that? You can go visit the parents instead. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Not bad. They, they got the heck out of the Midwest as soon as they could. So. Yeah. And as did I. <laughs> I like the Midwest. I spent some time in the Midwest. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I I have some favorite cities and definitely a goddaughter back there who I really miss and love a lot. But yeah, it's uh, 
it was the rural Midwest that I yeah. grew up in towns less than 10,000 people. So it's like you, uh, you drew you, the thing to do is you drove around after everybody got their licenses, they drove around and there were like four stoplights in the town and then mm-hmm. a big like square at one end. So you just drive up and down and turn around at the square until you saw your friends. Yeah. And then you'd like hang out in the parking lot most of the night. Yeah, based on the very few details of your life you've shared already, I would imagine that's an environment you probably want to move on from pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, I was I was pretty closeted, and um, there were, like, no gay people in my town. I mean, there were, but, like, uh, it's they all moved away, you know? It's yeah, like they, they got the hell out of there before they came out. <laughs> yeah. Is that... I don't like when you're when you're queer in a very very small rural town. Is it like every time someone who like plays guitar moves at the age of eighteen? Are you like ah, I wasn't alone? Is it that type of thing? So like anytime someone who's even mildly artsy gets the hell out, are you like okay, all right? Is it that type of thing? I don't know. It's it yeah. There's a little bit of that. It's also just you every time you spend you have a close friend who's, who you spend a lot of time with, you know, even before I sort of even knew myself, um, but the town would be talking about it. Right. Cause all we had was agriculture and gossip. Those were our primary commodities mm-hmm. um, in my tiny town. And so people would just speculate and spread rumors and things like that. And so I don't really even know the extent to, uh, <laughs> to which people talked about that, but I know that definitely, yeah, it was. Well, I can tell you that's not just they, a Midwestern. They knew before I did, that's not a Midwestern phenomenon. That's a, at least in no. the '90s, that was also very common in the uh, densely packed suburbs of northern New Jersey, as well. The gossiping yeah. about and people's private it's, lives. It's small enough that people kind of know each other. It's yeah. like mm, nothing else to do. Yeah. Agriculture drink, and gossip. drink in the cornfield and, and talk about each other. Yeah, we would drink in the woods. We didn't have corn. We'd drink in the woods behind the condos. You go drink in the woods. You go drink in the South Mountain Reservation, Essex County, New Jersey, the Eagle Rock Reservation, May Apple Hill. A lot of woods to drink in where I grew up. A lot of woods. Who says North Jersey isn't classy? I mean, uh, look at that. Uh, literally everyone says North Jersey isn't classy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, literally everyone, including, I would say, roughly over half the residents of North Jersey and then the rest of the world, uh, says North Jersey in class isn't classy. But, you know, we got a lot of grit and we got a lot of heart. I'll trade that. I'm not a classy guy. I mean, some of my closest, most loyal friends are from New Jersey. So, yeah, you know, yeah, we're not. There's, the, there's something about it. We're not the fanciest breed of people, but we're certainly got a lot of heart and i think our priorities are in the right place and we we out i bet you would say this about your jersey friends we work hard keep it real and we out hustle the next guy slash girl i don't mean to be uh exclusionary with my pronouns can you do they're uh they're wicked loud too um they're just really really loud i'm a pretty quiet i'm pretty reserved i'm pretty well it depends yeah, you're pretty quiet. Well, because, you know, there is – people forget. I think people associate Jersey a lot of times due to things like the Sopranos and the Jersey Shore with Italian-Americans. There's a big element of Italian-Americans. But actually, yeah. in my understanding, the largest group of uh, – the largest group of descent of, of ethnic pocket in New Jersey is actually Irish-Americans, of which I am one. And we are a culture that's driven mostly by silence, uh, shame, uh, judgment – 
now that I'm getting, I've gotten, you know, I'm, I can admit it, I've gotten a little more successful the past year and a half. I've noticed my mom, Sally, now refers to me as the big shot to cut me down in a very Irish Catholic way. I noticed that. <laughs> There's, my parents just visited me last that weekend is- and multiple times my mom would say, oh, everybody quiet down. The big shot's got something to say. So that's the Irish Catholic quiet shame jersey. It's okay. Sally's got a lot of opinions. Really grown to love Sally. Oh, she keeps podcast. me in my she keeps me in my place. <laughs> Jeez, you know, let me forget where I came from. She didn't raise a fancy son. Everybody needs that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what else? What else do you want to talk about? I feel like I've been talking too much this episode. Um, I mean, this has been a this has been a nice conversation. Yeah, I'd so, like to think. Sometimes that's all you need. Um. I'm uh, I'm at a point right now where there are people in my life who really think that I should write a book, and um, I'm I'm getting everyone's input on whether they think that that would be a good idea. And you have no emotional stake in me. No, so none. I, I'm a little bit conflicted because people keep writing books right now. I thought mm-hmm. books were pretty much dead, but now everybody's writing a book. And wow! Yeah. Everybody, every comedian I like seems to be writing a book. I'm writing Pretty a book. Pretty I'm writing. I'm, I'm working book. on one. Oh, I already have. I've written. Yeah. I'm writing my third book. People don't know that. I've written two books. It's not, not an easy thing really? to do. Yeah. <laughs> one was a travel book about so, different weird places in the state of New York, and the other was a collection of uh, mildly amusing stories. Working on I do third. love those books. I don't know why I have not picked yours up, so I'll oh, add okay. it to the list. I just got done with Phoebe Robinson's book. That was oh, Phoebe's the great. best. Why don't you just write the book? Why are you worried about if you should write the book or not? I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, there's there's so many people out there with much more profound, amazing things to say about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just stuck on, like, why would anyone care? Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have any really notoriety or anything like that. But what, what do your friends want you to write? What do your friends want you to write the book about? What makes your friends go, well, you should write a book. I mean, I've been telling stories for a long time. And so I have all of these stories, you know, from growing up in this small town, um, that are just randomly weird and kind of funny, but also serious, you know, having, um, come out while I was at college and having that come back to a town where my family was one, you know, a more notable family in town um, and how that reflected on close friends that they've had for a really long time. And then I struggled with some pretty significant mental health stuff too, as a result of coming out with the homophobia um, and things like that. And so got very depressed, had an eating disorder, all of that kind of stuff and uh, very perfectionistic and then went on and in my recovery to um, travel around and and tell my story, particularly about mental health and talk to and meet a lot of different people and and hear their stories. So, you know, my friends really want me to write something about that journey, but uh, I just feel like there are a lot of stories out there like that. Well, you know what my vote is. If you've listened to this podcast for even like half an episode... (laughs) I say write the book because here's the thing about writing a book is if you don't if it's if you look at it and you're like yeah this sucks then it's just a file that lives on your computer and you and you uh, you poured a lot of time into something but that's okay and you know what you said like I don't know why anybody would care 
And I feel like that about all my work, always. But then you know what's a weird thing is you put something out in the world, and then when someone does care, it's one of the most rewarding feelings you ever know. And they care in ways that you can't predict and expect. That's one thing about doing something like that is that if you're worried that people won't care getting ahead of yourself, because it's not your job as a creative person to worry about what happens. It's your job to make it. All you can do is send a thing out and then they get to decide how they feel about it. You don't get to decide how they feel about it. So why even worry about how they feel about it? Just write the book. And if it's trash, you go ahead, you put it on a hard drive and uh, throw the throw the hard drive in the sea. I don't know. Ocean. <laughs> it's the worst that happens. Um, yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's 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 true. I would listen um, to that story. Prominent prominent family in town. Yeah, very very visible, very visible people in that town. So right. movers um, and shakers. They definitely had people who did not want to be around them anymore. Really? You back. And you didn't even live in yeah. the town anymore? No. It's yeah, fucked up. Sorry, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, too, I think a lot of people found out about it. I had a weird um, thing, like, six months after I graduated from college, I came back um, and randomly was getting a dental cleaning at my old dentist's office. And the hygienist, you know, small town, was the mom of two people I went to high school with. And her daughter was a couple of years behind me and was struggling with the same sort of things. And sat there while, <laughs> while I uncomfortably had my mouth open and she was sucking spit out of my mouth, um, asking me what she should do as a parent. And um how she could be more supportive of her daughter and things like that. Because so, her daughter had recently come out? Her daughter was struggling pretty significantly with some other... Um, she had gone far away to school and was struggling with sort of establishing an identity there and had developed depression and an right. eating disorder and just wasn't sure how to support her. Um, so from an identity transition, sort of like recreating herself perspective. And so, yeah, that was an interesting and bizarre conversation. Wow! Never quite had a benefit visit like that since. I I had a, I've had some inappropriate. I want I had a. <laughs> I talk about this in career suicide, but there was, I had some hemorrhoid issues. I had to go get three procedures, and one of the procedures while I was getting a hemorrhoid taken care of, the doctor asked me what I did. He's like, I've never asked you. I've met you three times now. What do you do? And I was like, I'm a comedian. He's like, You're a comedian? I'm like, Yeah. And his assistant. It's like, my nephew does open mics. You got any advice? And I was like, no, not now. I don't have any advice right now, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a well-deserved, long, pregnant pause. It's the kind of pause you get from somebody when you just start rambling about hemorrhoids. Sometimes I forget that other people have... Uh, bound, the ability to control their boundaries and not overshare. You know, I, I think that's a good point, though, for all of us to uh, to take a good break, stand up, stretch out, especially if you're sitting at a desk with hemorrhoids. I know you're paying. Get up, stretch, walk around. Take, and, but you know what? Leave your earbuds in because we got advertisers telling you about their products and services. Use the promo codes. really helps the show. And we'll be right back with more of The Phone Call. Guys, I know. 
you're listening to podcasts, you've heard about the Casper. You've heard about it. You've heard about this mattress and how amazing it is. But I'm here to personally tell you that everything you've ever heard about the Casper on a podcast is true. It's incredible. I sleep so well on it. It is nuts how much better I sleep on the Casper than any other mattress I've ever had. That is true. My wife, who is a woman of really good taste, she's had some back problems in her life. She needs a good mattress. She said she'll never sleep on another type of mattress. And here, you want to hear a little couple thing that's going to gross out some people, but some of you are going to go, aw, if I'm out of town, this is true. If I'm out of town doing gigs, my wife will say, I need you to come back here. I need to sleep in Casper with you. She doesn't say in the Casper or in bed, Casper. We refer to it as Casper as if it's a member of our household. Because guess what? At this point, it is. I love Casper. Buying the Casper is easy. You order it online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box where you're like, how do they do that? So fun to watch it come out. My wife FaceTimed me. I was in Scotland when ours came. I watched it. It was one of the, it was the best. It's available in the US, Canada, now the UK. Shipping and returns are free considering we spend one thirds of our lives on mattresses. Look, at, you, gotta, you gotta sleep on a good one. You gotta sleep on one before you commit. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out risk-free. That's over three months. And I'm telling you, you're gonna love this thing. You get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash beautiful using the code beautiful. Terms and conditions apply. Paging all book lovers. Today's show is supported by Book of the Month. I've been reading a ton lately and Book of the Month makes it really easy. It's a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read. They search high and low for new books that you wouldn't have found on your own and narrow down to the top five each month. Then you choose your favorites and they ship them right to your doorstep with pricing starting at just $10 for new hardcover releases. That usually costs you 15 bucks plus anywhere else. Book of the Month is a great value. Whether you get a book once a month or once a season, the exclusive prices will save you tons. I have used this service. It is pleasant. It is easy to understand. It is intuitive. And they give you all sorts of options, real wide array of options. And it's fun. It's fun to go there. Pick out your book. It's a good time. Book of the Month, bound to delight. Get your first book for 10 bucks at bookofthemonth.com slash stories. That's bookofthemonth.com slash stories. Thanks again to all our sponsors for helping me bring this show to the world for free. Very cool. Use those promo codes. Check them out. And now, you know what? I'm not done talking about hemorrhoids. Let's get back to it. And his assistant is like, my nephew does open mics. You got any advice? And I was like, no, not now. I don't have any advice right now. No. <laughs> don't think. <laughs> let's get to the hemorrhoids. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, can we deal with this first? And then maybe I'll talk to you about how open mics work. <laughs> maybe first you can tie this rubber band around the protusion just inside. Okay, I'm being waved. Actually, John, John Delores in the booth literally started waving his hands no in a, an effort to get me to not share the details <laughs> of what that procedure was. Okay, I guess I'll just move on. I guess I'll just move on. It's okay feel like that's something that more people should probably know about, but research they can do on their own, maybe. I'm sure. I'm sure John yeah. agrees. Anybody who needs to deal with that can just go <laughs> walk their own path, walk their own journey. So have you ever, like, have you ever brought your partner back to your old hometown? No. And in fact, I haven't been back in probably over 10 years. Yeah. And your family got out of there. Yeah. My family left. As soon as my parents retired, they were out of there, and I had already moved, um, moved away, and gone to grad school. So. And 
was that uh like was that always your family's plan to move or was that the fact that they were put through a tough time when people found out about your situation was that part of why they left um they were mostly just untethered then at that point um they you know had sort of built their lives and careers where they were but their all my grandparents had died by then and so all their parents were gone and you know not a significant amount of siblings either for any of them and they were all scattered so they'd been going down to South Carolina for vacation every year since basically I was born so it was like a second home for them so they were just ready to not deal with winter and um, play golf most of the year that's fair that's fair yeah but yeah I think that there are another they're another concern because of course my parents and my relationship with them also factors into this story that I would write. And I think it's hard for me to air out those things. You know, I think we <laughs> come from um, Irish and German ancestry. Ooh. And so we're also um, a family who doesn't really air our lives or, or feelings. Yeah. That seems like a good combo of cultures that are not looking to get emotional unless they are very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. So you that come from hearty, stoic, um, Midwestern German stock. Yeah. And now here you, oh, yeah. you come along. 100%. You come along a unique person who is, knows in your heart that your identity is non-traditional, doesn't fit into that. You're, you disrupt the algorithm in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the only way I could get healthy was to break that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Part of it was keeping me sick was keeping all the secrets. And what were the types of things people were saying to your parents that made their time to, I'm, I don't want to harp on like the painful part, but that seems so like, that seems like old school to me to a degree that, that it's kind of shocking that it's like you left the town. You weren't even there anymore, but you said people kind of made life difficult for your parents just because they heard about it. That's, that seems extreme by modern modern standards. Maybe I'm just out of touch. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's definitely a town where, you know, it wasn't really things that they said. It's, you know, it's that Midwestern nice kind of thing where people, it's not what they say. It's just the sort of coldness in the way that they don't talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is a part of that. And I think some of the the friendships ended up recovering, but there are others where, you know, they had fr- like lifetime long friends that are so religious um, that they just it, they put a ton of, dif- you know, distance between the two families. Um, you know, pe- people who had basically grown up with their their children. And um, so this is, this is a little disappointing. And of course, there's other there's another family that you know, retired about the same time and they're the best of friends, you know, now. So, um, I think it really to them and how they explain it to me is it just really illuminated, you know, the, the good ones were and the ones that were gonna, they they wanted to be part of their lives. And how, but you know, it was a journey for all of us. Yeah. I was going to ask, how did your, like, did your parents ever waver? Did they have your back from the start or did they have to be convinced or how did, how does that go? I mean, I think my parents, I don't think they ever knew that they knew another gay person. Um, generationally and 
where they lived, like the radius in which they existed in geographically, the communities they're a part of, it just never came up. Um, I mean, by the time I went to college in the early 2000s, even the college I went to, which was a like private liberal arts school, no one was really out there. There was no LGBT group or anything like that. So I had a lot of shame around it. Um, I really felt like a failure, and I happened to be an only child, so it didn't really help. I feel like my, <laughs> the, I was the lone basket for all of my parents. Oh, wow. That's, that, yeah, uh, that seems like a, uh, that seems like a, like everything's lining up for worst case scenarios for like you don't even have any siblings your age just be like hey mom dad get over it who cares here's how it works here's the people you don't even have that you're in a vacuum right. vacuum um but they're we never talked about it so i never knew how they felt about the issue beforehand i just kind of had to figure it out i had three really good friends who were basically chosen family who were um on board and really supportive. And I went into that conversation that way and it took them a while. I think they just, they, it's not that they, I mean, they didn't push me away. It's, it's a really good sort of coming out outcome in comparison to a lot of other folks have, you know, I didn't get put out of the house and stop helping me pay for school or anything like that. But pretty soon after that, my eating disorder got so bad anyway that they were so concerned about my health. It was just something else to focus on so focus oh, wow. on for a couple of years. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and in that small town, I just always been, I was <laughs> valedictorian and I was a captain of three varsity sports and um, marching band and um, jazz band and all that kind of stuff. I was, I was involved in everything, student council. And, so an achiever. Yeah. You're an achiever. Was just, I, was an, I was an achiever and a perfectionist. And um, the way that I kept all of that going was to really bottle things up. So yeah, it all kind of ate away at me. I'm hearing all this stuff, yeah. hearing everything you've been, to, been through. And I think there's only one, there's only one reaction that's proper that really makes sense in any way. And that reaction is, holy moly. I think that's the only thing <laughs> I can say this. Holy moly. Holy moly. I, I feel I, very... <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, no. You feel very what? Uh, I just, every time I hear that, I, I got really excited. I watch a lot of HGTV. Because when I'm feeling down, it's nice to watch something go from looking really awful to looking really pretty. Uh-huh. Oh, and wow. um, there's a show called Fixer Upper that the main dude, Chip, um, he says, holy moly, all the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I, <laughs> it was like a validation. Like, I'm not 100 years old or whatever. I am just folksy. Yeah. Now, can I ask if this is too, if this is too painful? We're going to move on from the folksy nature of HGTV and get back into the pain, the pain and the pathos. I don't want to bring up stuff, something too painful. Here's some, it's uh, eating disorders. It's I know people who have had them. I know people close to me who have had them. I am certainly not one to judge anybody else's mental issues. That that is one that I just don't. I'm not well acquainted with. Um, 
with the internal conversation that's happening with those. Those, from what I get, from what I, you can see from the outside, is they're brutal. They're truly brutal. You watch people put themselves through physical hell because there's some sort of mental torture happening. But what is like when you get caught in that loop? What's the dialogue going there? What what's what like what it what do you? Because it also it's a point. You know, anybody I've known who has a severe eating disorder, it hits a point where physically it becomes clear that a person is sick. And it's 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 not this is not like it's causing a person to become more visually appealing or beautiful and the person can't see that. And that's a really hard, horrific thing to see from the outside. So what from someone who's been in in the shit, tell me tell me about your perspective, because I don't, I don't know this one. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it is that a lot of people don't really understand them. And certainly it wasn't something, you know, that we talked about in health class, really. And I think still a lot of, all, a lot of what we see is like anorexia and bulimia when it gets spread up. But, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, sort of the highest statistics are people with binge eating disorder. Um, and all of it has to do with sort of a loss of control around food and eating and sometimes exercise and things like that. Um, for me, as someone, you know, personally, I, I struggled with anorexia. And um, you're, you're totally on point. Um, because you understand anxiety, I think you understand eating disorders a lot more than you think. Because um, they're often diagnosed together because it is definitely the, the dialogue that is going on in your head. Um, I was telling myself that I was a failure, you know, I was in a relationship with someone who also wasn't out really um, after I came out. And so it was just so many secrets. And it's like, for me, um, in my head, it was just like, I deserve, I don't deserve to eat. I, um, if I can't be perfect in this way, then I will be more perfect in another way. And I got a lot of, initially I got a lot of positive feedback, you know, I started losing weight and people would say, Hey, you look great. Have you lost weight? And I'd be like, yeah, I have, you know? Um, uh, and that felt really good at a time when I internally felt pretty shitty. Um, so that, and that's not, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg though. It's an eating disorder because then you're right. It keeps going from there and you feel like you have control over that thing. You have control in my case over what I was eating and um, how many miles I was running and, and all that kind of stuff. But really it's the eating disorder who you, instead of being in conversation with an eating disorder, it's, it's the eating disorder that has both voices and the dialogue in your head. And so it's this, sham of a conversation that keeps playing and replaying in your head. So for me, I was diagnosed with anorexia and depression, but also obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was just keeping track all the time of, and thinking about what I was eating and how much I was exercising and doing that math all the time. And um, it's, it's a dangerous cycle to get in, you know, um, and does it I have a, Go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say, I mean, I think it's hard for people, it's really hard for people to understand, but like I have more than one friend who um, 
you know, they'll put their destination of wherever they're going in, in Google Maps to, to get somewhere. Um, and they'll see that estimated time of arrival. And then they'll be like, oh, I can beat that. And then they'll drive like idiots to get there. And that's dangerous, too. And it's sort of it's a similar premise. It's like you have this obsession and your, this compulsion to beat that time. Um, and you put yourself at risk in order to do something that isn't at all healthy or, or good for you. Um, and, and does the dopamine that comes with those compliments and, and the satisfaction that comes from that feeling that you're in control that manages to trump like the point when you have no energy and you're getting migraines and like your blood sugar so low that you're like passing out like that you can, that they overcome that the physical side, the mental side trumps the physical side, huh? Cause I tell you, if I don't eat for like 90 minutes, I'm like, yo, let's get to work. I, I feel, I, I really, I feel like we all overuse the word starving in America. Like, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us who, like, yo, I'm starving, and forget that that's a real thing that some other people have to do. I'm like, oh, it's been like two hours since I ate. I'm starving. Let me eat. and and I, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine overcoming the physical desire to eat. Yeah, it's it takes. I mean, it really is just all of your the messages that your brain is sending it's like the eating disorder just shouts over all of them i mean the popular misconceptions is like people want to look like you know models on tv and all that kind of stuff and that's what triggers it um sometimes that's true but i think there's you know there's always something more going on that perpetuates it and certainly i was looking in the mirror and thinking oh like i don't look good but i was also thinking um, like, this is all I have. This is the only thing that I feel like I can control. And if I don't do this, then I can't, um, keep everything else sort of tacked down and hidden away. Yeah. All the feelings inside, like, this is how this, this is how I'm keeping that tarp over this big pile of shit. Yeah. Um, and once it's, it's a little bit like depression, you know, the, the, in that, you know, you sort of, your brain learns to a little bit, at least in my, in my experience of it, my brain almost just like disconnected from the desire to eat. Um, and it, I couldn't receive those messages anymore, much in the same way as like when you have depression, it's not just that you're sad. It's just that you can't feel any of the things yeah. that are, that are you know, coming in at you. And that control thing, I will say, I've never had an eating disorder, but I will say that that feeling that everything's out of control and you can find a way to demonstrate control is a, a is a big thing. I know for me, one of the things where here's a thing that happens with my head stuff that I always know, okay, maybe it's time to bump up my next appointment is I do all this counting stuff, which I don't think is uncommon. I try to control the world via counting. That's the thing. Like if I'm waiting for, if I'm very depressed and stressed out, and I'm waiting for a subway train in New York City, and the train is not coming quick enough for my satisfaction, I'll start counting down from a certain number, and I will become convinced that the train has to arrive before I hit zero. I do this all the time when I know I'm really starting to stress out too hard. And my shrink has pointed out to me that the counting is an early indicator that I need to take a deep breath, send her an email, and we need to get on Skype. Because that's she. I all my therapy is via Skype right now. Because it's 2017, and she sent me retired. Um, but that control right. control goes a long way. 
I'm curious what do you have like a if it doesn't get here by zero what then will happen oh god it's the worst I feel like I failed I feel like the world is not working the right way I feel like uh I feel like I'm the only one who gets it I, I start to feel like everyone around me is operating under these false pretenses and that if the world would just operate by my standards then everything could move in order go the right way and it's just not and it makes me feel like the outlier and then what will happen is I will go home and I will maybe be in a bad mood and sometimes my wife I will just say to her hey I'm not in a good spot right now and she will be able to talk me through it sometimes I won't even be able to express that and generally what will happen then is I will just go in a room and I will just sit in the room and I will wait for it to pass this counting thing why can't the train just get there (laughs) And sometimes, you know what I'll do is I'll intentionally forget what number I'm at. So I have to start over. And that's my trick. If I'm like, it's not coming in time, then I'll just kind of distract myself with some other thought. And I'll go, "Uh, no, now I got to restart. And I might as well restart uh, from a higher number. But it doesn't count unless I get to zero, you know? Like, so if if I I forget the number and have to, it's still, there's a web. There's a web of weird thoughts in my head from time to time. But I tell you, the Wellbutrin and Lamictal, they help a lot. They help a lot. That sweet, sweet putrin. <laughs> that sweet lamictal smooth things out, baby. Get me that lamotrigine. That's the generic name. Lamotrigine. <laughs> Bupropion. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that well putrin works for you. I know it doesn't work for everyone. So. Oh, yeah. Not everything works for, for everybody. For me, though, I like it, man. Every morning, throw that well putrin in there. Nice gulp of water. You know what I say? Let's get the day started. <laughs> well, Butrin is a drug I, I do enjoy. Helps my life a lot. But, you know, why am I giving them so much airtime on the show? They're not even a sponsor. Um, but, they, oh, speaking of sponsors, we've got a whole bunch. They have uh, products. They have services that will enrich your life. They also have promo codes that you can use that will help this show, Beautiful Anonymous. Do check them out. Hope you enjoy them. And we will be right back. These days... You can get practically everything on demand, can't you? Right? Like this podcast, you listen to when and listen to whenever you want. Convenient for you. You're driving, doing laundry, whatever. That's when you listen. It's up to you. So let me ask you something. Why are you still going to the post office dealing with their limited hours, working on their terms? A life is built now where you get to put it on your terms. Hmm. Why are you doing that? Especially considering that you can get postage on demand with stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office. You can do it right from your desk with stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer, your own printer. And unlike the post office, stamps.com, it doesn't close. You're not going to go stand on a line forever just so it closes. You get postage when you need it 24-7. I love it. it. It's really great. We got a post office at the end of our block. My wife still uses it all the time. Her album came out. I'm telling you, post stamps.com was a lifesaver the amount of hours it has saved both of us is it's 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 crazy it's a simple thing it's a no-brainer right now you use my code beautiful you get a special offer four-week trial includes postage and a digital scale you don't wait you go to stamps.com before you do anything else you click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage. type in beautiful that is stamps.com enter the code beautiful stamps.com never go to the post office again Thanks again to all the advertisers that helped make this show happen. And now let's finish off the phone call. Throw that well butrin in there. Nice gulp of water. You know what I say? Ah, let's get the day started. <laughs> it's nice, though. It sounds like your wife is 
fully engaged and equipped to um, be there for you during those times and really understand and not take it personally. Yeah. And, and sometimes that does happen. And, and I think what you just said, that's very true is like, and that I think some people don't give themselves a credit enough credit on is you didn't say she's fully equipped to help because you're not, but she is fully equipped to be there. And those are different things. And sometimes our fear okay. of not being able to help makes us bail on being there. And that's a big thing that freaks me out. But I think that's so beautiful the way you phrased it. My wife is very willing to be there. Sometimes she is like, did I do something? And I'm like, no, I'm crazy. You married a crazy person. I have an HBO special about it. I'm crazy. <laughs> crazy. It's public knowledge at this point. It's out there. Yeah, that's my partner is, is very similar in that um, she will engage me to a point and then she'll say, okay. Like last night I was having some really circular anxiety and she was just like, okay. At this point now, though, you're just being crazy. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Like, nice reset. Nice reset. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, Sounds like a good that's partner. What I, tell, I mean, I talk to a lot of students who are trying to be good friends and siblings, um, you know, to people in their lives. And they, they ask me all the time, you know, my friend is struggling with this and how do I help them? And I was like, you don't have to help them. You just have to be willing to listen and to be prepared to give them the resources they need when they decide that they're ready to get them. I think, yes, I think that's true. I think there's a weird thing that people don't realize, which is there is, there is a middle ground. Like just because, just because you can't help someone doesn't mean you're not helping them. If that makes sense. Just because you can't solve a problem the fear of not being able to help makes people not even try, but very often the act of trying and failing goes a really long way. And uh, something like Absolutely. something like that, I don't know, I'm no expert. I'm not even particularly smart. Especially with anxiety or eating disorders, like your friend might get just really pissy with you sometimes oh. um, because I... they're so in their own head that you're disrupting them. But you got to be able to roll with that and not take it personally. So the, the, the good, the good friends and the good helpers sort of learn how to walk that line. And I think we're more equipped now than we've ever been with resources that friends can be like, okay, I can't help you with this, but you know, you can, you can text the number now and have someone text back at you support. Like, yeah. How great is that? Like crisis text line exists. So you can sit there with your friend while they text with someone. They don't even have to talk on the phone. Yeah. Pretty sweet. I wish I had that when I was a kid. Yeah. High school, college. I know, right? <laughs> I didn't have any of that. Here's what I had. I know. Sit in my sit in my room in the dark playing a keyboard for nine hours, praying someone would hear it and ask me, why are you doing this? It's wrong. That's what I had. Play a Casio keyboard for like nine hours yeah. until my roommates were like, shut the fuck up. And me going, just someone ask me what's wrong. <laughs> Please just ask me what's wrong. That's what I had. I have no text crisis That's, line. I, yeah, for me, it was those dark, angsty um, AIM away messages. Oh, yeah. The AOL instant messenger yeah. away message. Classic cry for help. <laughs> Classic cry for help. <laughs> for anybody who's too young to remember AOL instant messenger, it was kind of a precursor to Gchat. <laughs> AOL America Online. Early internet platform, mm-hmm. chat with people. You can leave a little away message. I bet you quoted a nice song lyric here or there. Would you quote a nice Depeche Mode song lyric? 
the cure put something what were I the, was so into Sarah McLaughlin. Oh. It was just ridiculous. What were some of your away <laughs> messages? Do you remember any of these away messages? Oh God. Um Jeez. Mine would have been, I don't know, um, mine probably would have been Smith's lyrics. Like I would have put up like, Oh, I'm sure. To die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. And then all my friends would have been like, is everything okay? And I would have been like, yeah, everything's fine. And I would take it down. <laughs> I would put up like John Stark's rules and like just change it like that. <laughs> good, good deflection. I'm Thanks sure so mine much. was like from um, anything, anything that Sarah McLachlan did on fumbling towards ecstasy uh-huh. Would have probably uh-huh. gone up in there. Um, like Tori you know, Amos? It's, it's just, so, I went, there was Tori Amos for sure. Yeah, we sound like yeah. a similar age. And I know I know every every uh, lady in my life mm-hmm. around the late 90s, Tori Amos was speaking for her. Liz Fair? Ooh, Liz Fair. Yeah. Liz Fair, Anita Franco. Oh. Yeah. Exile in Guyville? That was the cross. I will say, because oh, I feel yeah. like some of that music was. was um, a little out of my scope, but Liz Fair was kind of the bridge between that world of um, mm-hmm. feminist empowerment, late '90s pop, and straight up punk rock. Like Liz Fair was the bridge, man. Yep, for yeah. sure. Exile uh, guy, I would fucking play run. and replay Oof. a divorce song. Ooh, oh, fucking run, yeah. Fucking yeah. run is a classic. I, <laughs> I think I know all the lyrics to that song. Oh, great song. Uh, Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Well, you feel I'm. You know, I just want to say before you know, we got ten minutes left, so let me just get this on record. I'm glad that you wound up okay, and it's super nice that you're helping others. Thank, thank you. I feel the same way about you. I'm glad you're still here. Thanks. Yeah, worked out pretty nice after all was said and done. Although this is all going to be over in six months. I, that's the other thing I always have, man. You got an HBO special. You got your TV show. Yeah, fancy boy. This will all come crashing down any minute now. But you know what? Let me say another thing. You were saying that uh, you, were, you, were, you were saying that it's like stressing you out to work in the industry that you've wound up working in, helping other people. And I would say one thing to keep in mind that I don't know if you've heard this before, but maybe you should, is also – Maybe you've done your part, and that's more than most people do, and you don't need to feel guilty if you walk away from that either. Yeah. I I probably need do need to incorporate that into what I'm telling myself. Um, I think there is a lot of a lot of guilt after you know, the after so many years of investment, I think there's a lot of guilt in knowing that um, that I, I I can't do it anymore. That's okay too. I don't give up easy. Most people don't even try, and you don't. You know yeah. how much trouble has your perfectionism gotten you into over the years? Maybe you got to be okay with the idea that this <laughs> one doesn't end perfectly. Maybe that'll be a victory for you as well. Because I tell you, with my stuff, yeah. the mental health stuff, we're talking about it in conversation. That's fine. But as far as me publicly, the work I produce. For years, people have been sending me emails and Facebook messages asking me for help. And it hit a point where I was like, I can't save everybody. My good friend, J.D. Amato, who I work with, my right-hand man on most of my comedy, stepped in. He's like, dude, you're a comedian. You can't fix everybody. You can't help everybody. You just can't. So I stopped answering all those messages. And now, you know what I can say? I can go, here's a nice link to a fine service called HBO Now. 
And everything I've said about this issue exists there. And I think I've done my part. And I think I'm okay with the fact that I've done my part and I can move on. You owe it to yourself to move on at some point, too. Yeah, I'd like to be able to to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like from nine to five, I'm just not a very fun person. And my partner has definitely said, you become a totally different person once you're done working. <laughs> yeah, you got. You want to do the comedy? You're trying to write this storytelling. It's the funny storytelling, huh? Um. I mean, I, I certainly incorporate humor because I just don't feel that there are too many mental health stories or life stories really that you can tell without it. But I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm going down that road. Yeah. Um, I think you got to write this book. But... I think you got to write the book. Yeah, I think I do. Because what's the worst that happens? Is it a disaster? Gets terrible reviews and no one ever reads it. And so what? That's not that. <laughs> it's not that bad. I've done so many things that went that route but you know what even if it does go that route and you get one one person you run into one person someday who's like hey i read that at the exact time i needed it it erases all the insecurity about the rest of it and that i can say because i've lived that i've done a lot of terrible work that no one has liked and then every once in a while i fart something out and people are like hey dude good job helped me out (laughs) and i forget about all the failures That's a good reminder. That's definitely been true for yeah. most of my life. And it's usually the stuff that I think the least about that is the most successful. I have a weird feeling. You've already started writing the book, haven't you? Um, I've like written maybe a page of ideas. That's, that. that's as far as I've gotten. I knew it. I knew it. That's a start. <laughs> I'll pour some fuel on the fire. Burn this motherfucker down. Yeah, Let's do it. Let's do it. Sorry, Sally. That's it. It's off the rails. It's not that off the rails. <laughs> Some of them go really off the rails. You should hear the ones of this. You should hear the episodes we don't release. Those are, those go off the rails. Those some of the things, some of the, some of these ones the world will never hear. Uh-huh. I feel like we should we should leave on a lighter note. I mean, sure. it's been, you know, mental health and eating disorders and life advice. Whatever you want. Mm-hmm. We've, just, we've gotten a couple of laughs in, too. So you made a couple of funny barbs yeah. about Joe Biden up top. A couple of gags. Yeah, I, was, I was waved off from telling a very hilarious story about hemorrhoids, but I, I'll <laughs> talk to John Delore about that after we stop recording. It's waved off. No, no, I'm not going to record it now. I'm not. No, 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 no. What's done is done. The moment has passed. Everyone can probably figure out what happened based on based on the details I was already offering up. Yeah, I got a pretty clear picture. Yeah, yeah we got five minutes left. You want to end? You um, want to end on a lighter note? Five minutes left. What would you like that lighter note to be? And I'll help facilitate that lighter note. I don't know. I keep thinking about um, one of my friends. Uh, sent me this this Instagram uh, message last night, which was this little girl in the backseat of in like her car seat who was like, didn't understand how the American electoral process worked, which is fine because she's probably two or three. And, but she was the most expressive little girl ever. And she, she was very confused about where, um, as she pronounced it, Barack Obama went mm. and why that guy lives in a, that guy, meaning Trump, lives in the big house. 
Yeah. Uh, and what happened to Hillary? <laughs> and so <laughs> it was hilarious, but also like, yeah. And her mom tried to help her understand how Hillary got more votes and, but was not the president. She didn't understand because, you know, when she voted for pizza at school versus the hamburgers, like that made the, the pizza got the most votes. Yeah. There wasn't like a percentage <laughs> of the tables outweighed the other tables. So even though pizza gets more votes, we do hamburgers. Because the one table. If we're just talking about recounting adorable things we've seen on the internet, I'll tell you this, and I've never talked about this yeah. publicly. One of my favorite activities has become watching my wife watch animal gifts. That's become like my favorite hobby. <laughs> just last night on Reddit, there was a gif of a prairie dog in a weird human outfit eating cheese. It was on the front page, well-dressed, fancy prairie dog eating cheese. And I looked at that gif and I just turned the screen of my computer to all Hallie and said, hey. And she looked up and she immediately went, oh, boo-boo. Oh, boo-boo. Look at your little feet. And she just went, <laughs> until I turned the screen away, she would just react. Oh, we just, yeah, you can... Prairie Dog Loves Cheese. Look up Prairie Dog Loves Cheese on the internet, and it's the best. Are you near a computer right now? Are you near a computer right now? Yeah, yep. yeah look up Prairie Dog Loves Prairie Cheese. Dog. You'll find yep. it. It's got like an ascot on. It's got an ascot on. He's eating the cheese. He loves the cheese. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm just going to quiet down and watch you react <laughs> to the Prairie Dog eating cheese. Oh my God, he looks so self-satisfied. Or she, he, he, she, unclear, unclear from this angle. <laughs> it reminds that, me of that prairie dog in the in the where they voiced the animals. That video on YouTube, I like watching people watch this video where the guy's just like Alan, Alan, like calling across the prairie. A lot of good he, dumb he stuff on the internet. It, oh, my number one, anytime I'm depressed, we've talked about depression so much. Anytime I'm depressed, one of the yeah. first things I go to, you ever watch that drunk Ewoks video? Yes. That's my favorite thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. I go back and watch episodes of My Drunk Kitchen. I have like favorite episodes of My Drunk Kitchen. And I'm not, I'm not familiar. Watch. I'm not familiar with My Drunk Kitchen. Oh, okay. All right. Check All right. it out. How much time do we have left? Minute 15. Minute 15. Great. Okay. So here's the download. Um, on YouTube, there is a content creator named Hannah Hart. Oh, I've met Hannah Hart. Enough, I do know this. I know my drunk kitchen. Yeah. Yes, I've met Hannah. She's very yeah. sweet. But the best, the best by far are American Strudel parts one and two and onion rings. Those are, those make me laugh every time. I am familiar Between with that and show. Parks and Rec. That I, is Hey, the go-to. check out the episode Pie Mary. Catch a little glimpse of your boy, Gether. Pie Mary, I know. A lot of people in the beautiful anonymous world don't <laughs> understand. People in um, beautiful anonymous listeners very often don't understand that I do other things besides this. And they are shocked to find out that I've been on, on TV every <laughs> once in a while. Absolutely. We get really excited when we see you. Yeah, it's Chris. very sweet and very nice. Like I'll text each other. Hey, we got 15 <laughs> seconds left. I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad you're doing okay. How do you want to close it out? Um, I don't. Thanks, Chris. This has been this has been a really great chat, and um, I appreciate you giving me the advice, the the kick in the pants that I needed to move forward. Thank you.
caller. Thank you so much. Thanks for reminding me. Go watch the uh, drunk, drunk kitchen. Funny stuff. And again, I help you write that book. I really do. What's the worst that happens? That's what we always have to ask ourselves that about stuff. If you're, if you're wondering if you should or shouldn't do something, you always should because the worst that happens is you fail. And then who cares? It's okay. Rebuild. Life's fun that way. Thank you for calling. And thank you to everybody for listening. Very sincerely. Thank you so much for listening at all to the show. Thanks for the people who helped make it, including back. Wow. Special occasion. Back on the deck, the Reverend John Delore. Jared O'Connell, peaced out for the week. I don't know why he's too good for us now. John Delore back in. Also, John is one of the guys who built this show along with Greta Cohn. Big thanks to her. We, uh, we miss her. I missed her. I, and, and, and thanks to Harry Nelson, who's in the booth, as always, helping to guide this community where it's going to go. Thank you to Shell Shag for all the music. You guys are the best. So much love to you, um, Shell Shag. If you want to know more about me, getting out on the road, chrisgeth.com. All my dates are up there. Your eyes peeled for the Chris Gethard Show coming to True TV. You like Beautiful Anonymous? You can help out. Go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. I'm not kidding when I say that those things go a real long way. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more Beautiful Anonymous. Paging all book lovers. Book of the Month. It's a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read. Browse the five best books of the month. Discover titles you would not have found on your own. With exclusive pricing starting at just 10 bucks. you can get your favorite shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month. Bound to delight. And get your first book for 10 bucks at bookofthemonth.com slash stories. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous... I am uh, filled in on the mysteries of the big hole. This sounds terrible, but it's, uh, it's totally sci-fi. That like my body would open up and a human would be ejected from it. <laughs> like I can't. That's like way too. <laughs> <laughs> too sci-fi. Too like sci-fi. way too alien. <laughs> no. <laughs> The most natural, <laughs> the most natural process that's existed, but since the beginning of time, and has led to all of us being here. <laughs> to sci-fi, that's not a real. That's not a real thing that exists on Earth. <laughs> I mean, try and wrap your head around that. That's like so messed up. What do you mean? My body opens into this giant hole, and then a baby comes out. Like, what are well, you talking you, about? Well, when you put it like <laughs> that, it's not so appealing. But that's what it is. Does the body right? open like up into a big it, hole? It's the first I'm hearing of this. You gotta dilate to like 10 centimeters. That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Everybody, I'm Dave Holmes. And I'm Matt McConkey, the sidekick that Dave Holmes never wanted. You're not a sidekick, you are a full co-host. Oh, please, I should be so lucky to have Come that title. on! We are on an equal footing here. And homophilia! Homophilia! It's uh, all about us, mm-hmm. me and Matt, mm-hmm. talking to a wide variety of LGBTQI plus 
uh, exclamation point individuals about their lives, about their their pop culture diets, mm-hmm. what they're watching on TV, what they're loving, and and who they're loving. Who so they're loving. we're gonna take a deep dive into their personal lives, mm-hmm. ask some very intrusive questions, yep. you know, about what their current dating status is, what how did they come out, what was their biggest heartbreak, uh, what's going on in their grinder account. Can we see their grinder account? Can we improve their grinder account? Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll be uh, releasing new episodes every Friday. Homophilia is coming to you uh, beginning Friday, August 11th, right here on Earwolf. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.